you know, this is a great job and I'm so grateful I get to do it, but man, I hate playing vampire towns. Hi, and welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer vlog and podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Sleeper, the eighth episode of season seven. Sleeper aired on November 19th, 2002, and was written by David Fury and Jane Espenson, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by Alan J. Levi and is the only episode of Buffy that Levi ever directed. Last week, we had the amazing tour de force that was Conversations with Dead People. And now we move into a more traditional episode of Buffy with Sleeper, in which our team of Scoobies tries to sort out the events of conversations while also figuring out what, if anything, is really going on with Spike. All right. Let's get into the weeds. He's, he's different. He's changed. In Sleeper, we pick up immediately at the end of Conversations with Dead People as Buffy rushes to Xander's house to find Spike. Well, this can't be good. You heard this out? Willow comes home to find Dawn in their destroyed house, and when Buffy returns, they compare notes on the dead people they each saw the night before. But before that, the lies were very convincing. But... Xander leaves Anya in his apartment to babysit Spike during the day, and despite expressing a very rational distaste for being left alone with a maybe serial killer during full daylight, Anya decides to go into his room and look for clues, you know, once the sun goes down. Anya, do be specific and tell a fella just exactly what you're doing here. Spike goes out and Buffy follows him, but Sunnydale's brand new promenade is filled with extras and she loses him in the crowd. So she goes back to Xander's and confronts him there. I caught the first act. I missed the curtain call. Did you kill her? Did you turn her? Is she one of your kind now? After hearing Buffy's accusation and realizing that he can't remember what he's been doing while out and about lately, Spike goes out to investigate and finds what he's looking for. What's with the wallflower act? You didn't seem so shy when you were biting me. As Spike starts to get a clue as to what he's done, he calls Buffy into a house he's filled with the bodies of the people he has killed. The first takes Spike's form and sings. Oh, never leave me. How could you use a Spike! Spike flips out on Buffy just as a horde of vamps come up from the ground. Buffy's injured in the fight. Spike tastes her blood at the urging of the first and remembers everything. Remember. Buffy clears the room of vampires, except one. There's something playing with us. All of us. Later, at the house, Buffy talks with the gang and formulates a plan to get closer to the big bat. And I have to get close to Spike. Meanwhile, in a flat in London, we get a stupid cliffhanger. I understand. I'll take care of after the events of Conversations with Dead People, we move right into Sleeper, which is a much less impressive and much more typical episode of Buffy. While there are things to like in Sleeper, there are a few moments that are such eye rollers that it almost ruins the good stuff. So I'm going to start with the eye rollers, get them out of the way, and then deal with the rest of the episode, which is actually pretty good. The first eye roller is Anya. I called this out in the synopsis, but let's just call it out again. First, she's scared about being left alone with a possible serial killer vampire while swimming in daylight. This is a reasonable response. What? That's it? 
you're not at least gonna like leave me a, a crossbow or a flamethrower, something to protect myself? And first of all, no effing way Xander leaves a newly non-demon Anya to fend for herself with Spike. Spike was able to hit her when she was a demon, and we don't know that his chip is going to suddenly activate with her now at this point. So we're not sure she has the protection of the chip, and she now has absolutely no demon strength. Anya is literally the worst choice for this job. What, Xander can't call in sick? Someone else can't install the subway tile in the new high school bathroom? And then, to make things worse, as soon as it gets dark and the tiny little bit of protection Anya had is gone, she goes into Spike's room to look for trophies and signs that he is killing people. All so we can have this idiotic circus. Sex. Uh, beg pardon? You and me. Here and now. Let's go. Let's get it on, you big bad boy. Then, when Spike turns her down, we get this. You think I'm fat? What? The 45 levels of misogynistic bullshit in that is something I don't even have the energy to unpack. But to give that line to an actress who weighs maybe 95 pounds, gee, I wonder why women are starving themselves in Hollywood. We play the scene like Anya actually wants to have sex with Spike, and we get this, you know, admittedly funny line. You know, you were a lot more fun when you didn't have a soul. Oh, come on now. I've just explained to you. All I'm saying is soulless Spike would have had me upside down and halfway to happy land by now. Okay, that line is funny, but it doesn't justify the rest of the scene. The second thing in Sleeper that I didn't care for was that we went through this whole drama of Buffy not confronting Spike about what Holden Webster told her, following him through the promenade where she then loses him, and he kills someone. And then she just confronts him afterward anyway. So someone died because we needed that little bit of extra play-acting theater, and it makes Buffy look a little stupid. Just a word to the writers out there. It's easy, false, cheap conflict to have your characters keep secrets. You really want to set the story on fire? Have them be honest. The scene when Buffy confronts Spike is fantastic. Why we didn't just go there in the first place is beyond me. The third thing that drove me crazy was the cliffhanger at the end of the episode. When Giles is tending to his dying friend and we see a bringer come up behind him, swinging an axe at his head, and it cuts to black just before he beheads Giles. If you've been with me for any length of time, you know the difference between a cliffhanger, which is bullshit manipulation, and a game changer, which is awesome storytelling. A cliffhanger leaves you dangling on the cliff. You don't know what's going to happen. It's a deliberately unfinished story beat that keeps the reader on the hook for the next chapter so that they can, you know, finish the story. But the thing is, a good story needs to be finished in the final narrative unit that you're actually in. A cliffhanger is a cheap device used to keep people coming back. It demonstrates a lack of faith the writer has in himself and in the reader. Now, a game changer finishes the beat and leaves the reader breathless, also wondering what will happen next, but knowing what has already happened. When Buffy kills Angel at the end of season two, game changer. How can Buffy ever go back to being who she was after that event? Well, she can't. Game changed. When Buffy dies at the end of season five, game changer. Our eponymous character is dead. How will we be able to go on from here? Cutting to black in mid-act swing? Cliffhanger. And it's cheap AF. All right. I'm going to address a minor, vague spoiler here. So if you're sensitive to that and haven't seen all of Buffy, skip ahead about 30 to 40 seconds. 
The rest of you, I can hear you out there yelling at me, yes, I know that we have a mystery later in the season that relies upon us not knowing for sure what happened to Giles here, and I will say it is absolutely cleverly done. But it hangs on a cheap narrative device, and so my argument is this device, this cliffhanger, does not earn its space. If we didn't have the cliffhanger at all and did everything exactly the same, and we learned that there was a presumption that Giles had died at the same moment everyone else learns that, that would have worked wonderfully. And then we could scan back through all the moments since he comes back and get that same thrill that they were playing fair with us the whole time. We don't need the cliffhanger for that to be just as awesome. So judge rules, bad call. I used to tell the truth all the time when I was evil. One of the things I love about Sleeper is the way everyone processes the conversations with dead people. Dawn's subtle background need to believe that everything that was said was a lie, and Willa's acknowledgement that just because it was the big bad doesn't mean that what it said wasn't true, is sophisticated stuff. We play a lot with shifting realities in this episode, and it's one of my favorite things about Sleeper. Spike is seeing the first who only appears to him and makes him think he's crazy. He's being triggered to murder and somehow his chip isn't being activated, which brings up interesting questions about the world building around the chip. Buffy isn't sure what's going on with Spike, but she keeps an open mind about it. Willow and Dawn are processing what the first told them and why and whether any of it was actually true. And at the end, Buffy follows her gut and brings Spike into the fold, wanting to discover what's going on and believing that whatever Spike did, it wasn't his fault. Which brings us to the interesting question of moral culpability in the Buffyverse. In general, the rule has been that if you're in control of yourself and not human at the time you kill somebody, then you die. That's it. Unless there's something that prevents you from harming people again, like a chip or a soul. And this is what I think is interesting. It doesn't matter how many people you have killed. If you are prevented from hurting anyone again, you get to walk. Buffy is not about vengeance. Buffy is about protection. If she doesn't need to protect the world from a demon, that demon can go about their business. Maybe it's because she's the only slayer and she has to focus on the clear and present danger. But I think given our discussions of vengeance and justice in the past, it's an interesting thing to note. Oh, Spike, save it. As daft a notion as soulful Spike the killer is, it is nothing compared to the idea that another girl could mean anything to me. Okay. I know I've complained about some things in this episode, and I'm glad I got them out of the way because the stuff with Spike is heartbreaking and challenging and really, really good. We won't even identify what a sleeper is in this episode, and the suggestion of it is beautifully played out when we see the song trigger Spike into an altered state, allowing him to kill without activating his chip and leaving him without the memory of what he's done. Until now. Last week, I talked about the beauty of a redemption arc, how healing it is to believe that someone can be better and be forgiven, even for the unforgivable. There is something about that hope that we can all be better, that we can come back, that we can be forgiven, that makes the redemption arc so viscerally satisfying and so heartbreaking. For Spike to be so haunted by the things he's done, to be feeling the weight of his soul, to know that he can't undo what he's done is an exercise in torment, but he has one thing to hold on to. The knowledge that he'll never do it again. The horror on his face when Buffy accuses him is powerful, and his explanation about why he couldn't possibly do these things is real and devastating. You know I can't. Right. The chip. No, not the chip. Not the chip, damn it. To have what little he has, this knowledge that at least he'll never do those things again, 
To have that taken away from him shows once again the inhuman cruelty of the first, and it creates a big bad that goes so far beyond evil that I'm not even sure there's a word for it. And then, after the fight, he bares his chest to Buffy, asking her to kill him. Do it fast, okay? He said you would do it. Who said? Me. One of the things that those of us who love Spike really love about him is his passion for life and death. He does dreadful, terrible things, but he does them with such energy and dedication that you can't help but be charmed by how much he loves it all. The violence, the death, the sex, the experience. To be good at your work and to love it, even if that work is terrible and wrong, it's a heady experience. And as readers, it's one of the things that draws us into a character. When Dawn was so excited about figuring out who Narl was in Same Time, Same Place, we saw that giddy vocational thrill, and it was charming and fun. We've always had that with Spike, and it was part of what made him such a good time. To have that, to have everything stripped away from him until we've got him so raw and wrecked that he bears his chest to Buffy, begging for the stake, it's incredibly powerful. Early season seven Spike may not be the Spike many of us fell in love with, but he's a Spike that we can feel and we can empathize with. And he's a Spike that can speak to and maybe heal the dark places in all of us that crave forgiveness that may never be granted, especially from ourselves. All right, that'll do it for today. Remember to visit Chipperish Media at chipperish.com for more great podcasts, including Still Dead, an angel podcast, which will start production when we hit our next stretch goal on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish for more information. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 9, Never Leave Me. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.